Hey, you, dare to think. Y'all ready to get funky? Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Warning, the show might trigger you. You don't love the gospel. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly Zilly. With us today is Dr. Matthew Phillips, professor of history at Concordia University in Nebraska. How are you doing today? I'm great, Pastor Zill. How are you doing? I am doing fantabulous. A little stir-crazy? imagine you are too. Well, Nebraska's been okay. Uh, um, honestly, uh, and I, I'm not saying this to suck up the students, but I actually miss my students a little bit. Oh, so, there but, you And they say professors don't care. <laughs> now, you've well, been... we try to care. <laughs> oh, I... You're a history professor, but where do you hail from? I grew up in central Mississippi, did my undergrad in Mississippi, and then I did my Ph.D. at St. Louis University. Okay. So I'm... Like like a lot of Lutherans, I've lived in St. Louis and Seward, Nebraska. There you go, just like just like me. <laughs> so now, so you've been there for sixteen years. Uh, tell us about uh, your your interest in history. Have you always been interested in history, and what 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 kind of background do you have that caused you to want to become a history prof? And what kind of areas of special interest do you have? Well, as a kid growing up, I always liked history. Yes, uh, I also grew up in Mississippi, which has a lot of. Uh, fascinating history, including the Civil War, and then even later the Civil Rights, but everything in between. Uh, So I I like, uh, it's just the subject I like the most. And then uh, I got interested in theology and history in college. That just kind of kept going through my master's degree. And so I my doctoral work is in uh, the medieval church, so actually 12th and 13th century, but I did quite a bit on the in the Reformation era also. Okay. And what kind of courses do you do you teach typically at uh, at Concordia there? At Concordia I teach just about everything that's not American history. And uh how has the uh the adjustment hasn't been too hard uh going to online, I would imagine. Are you are you getting kind of tired of it though? You mentioned you miss the students. It's been it's been an adjustment. I mean, I, I was actually doing a uh learned a little bit about making videos i didn't think i was going to be using it so much sure but yes yeah, so i i did get uh, uh that's actually been kind of fun at first it got kind of old after a while making all these videos frankly and i put a i put a bunch of videos on youtube and an alternative website called bitshoot i'm just professor phillips if anybody's interested in looking but they're not there's not like they're any great production value or anything sure but it is educational yeah so uh I would rather be on campus. I, I haven't heard any professor or student say that they prefer online only. There might be somebody, but there are very few, I think. Well, it'll certainly be interesting how we how we come out of this in higher education in general at our Concordia's and, and any you know for those of us that are that are that love campus ministry in general, especially at right. the secular universities. I don't think anybody really knows the total impact that this is going to have. I think you're right. I don't think we know, and this is what I've said, is nobody knows the future, so who knows? I mean, uh, nobody wants to make a mistake either. We're very cautious, right? So, And that's probably a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that I think that's what motivates a lot of the uncertainty. What, what motivates people's actions is the uncertainty. Sure. 
And of course, uh, mentioning learning the future, one of the great things, and a lot of people don't understand this, is the ability of uh, turning to history to kind of prepare for the future, to to learn what has happened in the past as a way of uh, gaining right. insight into where we're going. You know, you know, we keep hearing about the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu, this hasn't happened for 100 years. Right. Um, of course, uh, you go back much farther than that. And uh, when we were, yep. t- I was talking to you about, hey, leave me a topic that we can talk about. You said, hey, what about the the Black Death? And uh, yep. so uh, I don't know anybody that's more qualified to talk about the Black Death than, than you. <laughs> so well, you te- might not know anybody. I know a few people that probably be more qualified. <laughs> oh, so I might be the most qualified person you know. No, I understand. But uh, no, I mean, yeah. everybody's talking about the Spanish flu. Um Right, and that's a hundred years ago, and uh, and that right. was a worldwide pandemic, I guess. Uh, but give us a little bit of background. What what you know, you know, and sometimes people just use this term generically. You know, you've got the plague, or you've got the Black Death, or whatever. Right. What what was the Black Death? Give us a little history lesson here, Professor. Okay, well, a couple things to say there. The the Black Death. First of all, the name Black Death was not given during the time. That was a name given to it later. Uh, okay. It was generally associated with what we would call the bubonic plague. They did not know this at the time, but the bubonic plague was caused by a bacterium. Uh, Pesterilla pestis, I think, is the closest to the scientific name that I would give it. And that wasn't discovered, of course, until the late 19th century. I mean, germ theory is not old. Hmm. That's one thing to rem- people need to remember. We live... People really didn't understand germs and germ theory uh, until less than 150 years ago, hmm. all right? So that's another thing to remember. But the Black Death event, or the plague, as it was called or uh, at the time, happened, uh, the big one happened in the mid-1300s, starting around 1347, 1348. It originated in China. No, uh, you're kidding me. Yes, I know, it's amazing. And it spread through trade routes across Eurasia through trade routes. Wow, some things Again, don't yeah, there, change. There's not much new to this history at all. <laughs> and it actually killed a lot of people in China wow. before. Uh, to, to, uh, we know more about what happened in Europe and the Middle East, okay? because it hit the Mediterranean world, Europe and the North Africa and the Middle East pretty hard. Cairo was devastated. So it wasn't just the Christian Europe, if we want to call it that at the time. Sure. It was also the Middle East. There were Muslim scholars talking about... Uh, uh, we have evidence of them. Uh, I, I found a really fascinating evidence about a guy who, uh, he walled himself in where he lived and survived the plague and everybody in his town died. And that was a Muslim guy in Spain, I think. Hmm. So I want, so that, that's another perspective we need to get. It was a worldwide phenomenon, at least in across Eurasia and into North Africa. So that, that's what we know about. We know more about it in, in, in what happened in Europe, though. So about uh, 1348, it enters Europe from the south. Uh, through Italy, Something no, China. I know, it's s- amazing. <laughs> it, it, China. I don't mean to laugh. I'm not making Asia. fun of it. I, I just, I'm kind of stunned. I didn't, I didn't yeah, have ships any. Ships came. Ships, ships came from the Black Sea area where it was carried, and it was carried into Italy, and then went north. No, sure. what I find fascinating looking at this was the spread patterns are almost exactly the same. And you can look this up on the Internet. There have been people talking about this since uh, way back. But the spread patterns follow the same trade patterns, okay, which is fascinating, right? Hmm. Uh, so this disease comes, and the way uh, the, the, the bubonic, uh, the, the, the bacterium we know now was actually in fleas, 
Mm-hmm. And fleas were on rats. And those fleas would bite you, and then it gets into your bloodstream that way. Now, okay. the Black Death was also horrific. One estimate I saw, worldwide deaths, 200 million. Wow. And we're guessing the worldwide population was only 500 million at the time. Wow. So consider if almost half of the worldwide population just died in five years. That's basically what happened with the Black Death. We know that happened in Europe. Europe and the Middle East, probably uh, a third of the population died in three years. Now, can you imagine the, the catastrophe that was and how that changed people's lives? The people that survived, how it changed everything for them. Uh, that, that's a perspective that, that I don't think any of us, I hope, we, I, hope I never have to know. Uh, well, we, we sit here and we like think that. about, you know, the number of deaths we have and the, the, you can't even mm-hmm. really compare this. This would be like, what are there, seven, eight billion people in the world now? Statistically, it's, it's a blip. It'd be like, it'd be like three, bi- it'd be like three in billion. In no way making light of anybody's no, suffering of oh, any of kind course. of death. Um, in no way. But we're talking. But statistically, statistical comparison is it's like a blip. Th- it's like three billion Now, that's the worst we know people. in history, though. Yeah. yeah. As far as we know, that's the worst plague in history. Yeah, well, let's pray so it never gets. The Black Death was. Yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we compare, we compare this one to the Spanish flu. Which, what was that? 50, Which was pretty darn bad. Yeah, what was that, 50, 60 million worldwide or something? The worldwide million, yeah, yeah, some, some really high number. And in the United States, what, uh, just a couple hundred thousand, maybe? Uh, something, I, I'd have to look that up. I don't know right. off the top of my head. But, well, uh, I mean, we're, we're just looking. Just as an aside, yeah. another, flu, another uh, pandemic that might be more comparable, uh, hopefully it'll, we won't go beyond this, uh, is the... the there was something called the Hong Kong flu in 1968-69. Hmm. Did you know 100,000 Americans died that year from the Hong Kong flu? No, I, it no, was a strain wow. of the flu. Huh. Yeah. Tell, people listen to this, they can look it up. And that's what it was called, the Hong Kong flu. And this was in the 1950s? Up. 1968 and 69. Oh, okay. So many people who might be listening might remember that. A lot of people lived through it, don't, don't remember it at all. So... 100,000 Americans died from that. A million people worldwide died from that, uh, that flu epidemic. That well, you year. know, this, this raises an interesting question because here we're talking about today we've got this coronavirus and it's nonstop 24-7, 365 right. news, right? And yet even and in social the... social media and... Right, yeah. in the 19, you know, 50 years ago with the Hong Kong flu, 100,000 people right. died. And that's probably about where we're going to end up in terms of here in America. Yeah. But yet, unfortunately, seems that way. I don't even—I don't even know if I ever heard of it, and I was alive. I had never heard of the Hong Kong flu till I looked it up, and my, uh, I, my one of my parents remind, said, "Yeah, well, there was this flu in 1968 that was really bad." But how many of our people? And then how, I looked it up. How many of our? Now I—I'm a huge advocate of history because what you've just explained—I mean, I, I'm still blown away by the Black Death starting in right. China, going through the trade routes, yep. coming up through—I'm just up through Italy. That, but we're so in terms of history, the ability of people we're seeing, we see. And I don't want to get into talk of propaganda and how that works and whatnot, but so much right. we see history, we see the present shaped by these things. And here, most of what you're talking about with the black, the Black Death, we had to learn about it after the fact. It's, well, it's kind I mean, of, it's the fascinating. Black, most people know about the Black Death a long time, but a lot of people aren't familiar with all the particulars. No, I un- I understand. Yeah, but even yeah. even you know, with something like uh, you know the Hong Kong flu, you you know right. if you did hear about it, 
you only heard about it on the news. It didn't. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't think about it. As you far did- as I know, there were no there were no mitigation activities that were done in 1968, 69 related to the Hong Kong flu. I mean, I, you can look it up. It's on the CDC's website. I'm not making sure. That no, I, you can I look understand. It up. Uh, back to the Black Death. Yeah. Uh, there might be some. Uh, the way people reacted is interesting in different places. Sure. Obviously, most people believed in God or were religious of some type, right? Yep. And in Europe, most people were at least nominally Christian or, you know, whatever their understanding was. A lot of people would not have been, you know, deeply theological or anything like that. But right. uh, So how to deal with that? And remember, remember this is the other thing, remember in the 14th century, nobody had any idea of germ theory, hmm. okay? Nor in the 16th century when Luther's writing about it. I mean, he wrote that very famous tract called Whether One May Flee from a, from a Deadly Plague. Right. And that's some pretty good advice in sure. some part of it, I think. Amazingly good but advice. We, we also have to remember Luther had no understanding of germ theory so uh, and, and how, how viruses actually spread. We understand that a lot better now than anybody did in, you know, five, six hundred. But he had a lot of good common sense, you know, wash your hands, yeah. you know. Right. I, I found what some you great need. stuff by yeah. that, actually. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy, uh, a, a French physician who probably had lived through the Black Death or not too long after it, wrote a kind of a treatise on how to treat people. Okay. And how to avoid sickness. And one of the things he said was, wash your hands a lot. That was hmm. in 1364. The French physician said, wash your hands a lot. I'm paraphrasing, but wash your hands a lot. And also clean, make sure your face is cleaned off a lot. So he had an intuitive understanding that, yeah, they didn't understand what germs were, but they did understand it passed through touching. At least a physician did in 1364. Moms so have been right since the beginning of history on this, haven't they? <laughs> Wash maybe, your hands, uh, Johnny. Hey, before you right. come in, wash your hands. I mean, if it's we just... all listen to our mom uh, in a lot of ways, I think God said something about that, didn't he? Yes. Is there a commandment or something yeah. about that? Yeah. So, as a as a you know as a history professor um, teaching um, from a Christian perspective, uh, what what do you think we can yeah. learn from all of this as we think about what we're facing today and look back and learn from history with with the Black Death? Well, from a Christian perspective, the first thing we can learn is that we're mortal, and when uh, the people that on Ash Wednesday, if you hear the pastor say to you, you are dust and dust you will return, and mm. it's true. Yeah. So, and that doesn't, we're not fatalist. We're not morbid. Uh, well, we love humanity and we want people to live and thrive in this life as, as I think Jesus wants us to. But, he, but we also know that because of sin and because of the wages of sin is death, we are mortal. And can't, that's, can't mitigate against that. that. It's going to happen. There's nothing Lord you can returns. do about it. And every doctor, every doctor of any type will tell you, ultimately, he, he or she loses the battle out of every patient. Sure. Think about that. Yeah. No doctor but, succeeds ever. But yet, we, we move but yet up, we, we try go to, on. We try to prolong life. So we try to, uh, it was Christians who, who did research into science, and, uh, and we care about human life, and we want to do whatever we can to protect it. And uh, that's that's not always easy, as we're finding out. There, there's not an easy. And people in the Black Death didn't have easy solutions. People would flee. They would say, "Okay, we know the death's breaking out here, so let's go somewhere else." Right. But they didn't understand what that they could bring it with them, and that's what happened often. Or people would lock themselves up places. But what happened? Uh, commerce completely stopped. So there was no more crops being grown. There was no more animals being slaughtered, and what happened? People starved to death instead. And doesn't historically, See, doesn't, doesn't famine oftentimes right. follows plagues, yes. right? Some people scapegoated their neighbors. 
Uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of Christians in Europe, uh, and this wasn't an official church position, I want people to understand that, that the, the, the Pope or any bishops didn't come out and tell people to do this, at least not officially. But a lot of people blamed the Jews that lived in Europe mm. in 1350 and said, the Jews must have done this, and there were Jews who were attacked, some were killed. So uh, that's an example. Uh, we don't scapegoat somebody with for no reason, right? We don't blame somebody who, who had nothing to do with doing so it. So famine follows because. plagues, and so does finger-pointing, <laughs> historically. Yeah, that's a good way just, to put it. Just like as we're going to see here, as we're kind of, it seems that we're getting on to the other side of the curve in most places here. Well, so-and-so did this, so-and-so should have done that, so-and-so made this mistake, right. so-and-so. and we're going to see that from all sides, and uh, I mean, frankly, uh, my personal opinion is simply that I really wish this didn't happen in election year. Yeah, that makes it worse. Uh, I mean, I wish it didn't happen at all, obviously, sure, but I'm saying, yeah. like, that exacerbates the whole thing. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't go back and, and try to figure out what we should do as, as people and as a society, and hopefully as a world, figure out how can we respond to this better the next time, if sure. it's possible. But isn't and that one of the, was- the benefits from from your love for the field of history is the fact mistakes were made here, there. And I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Of course, I think everybody's been trying to do the best they can. Yeah, I with, could probably list out a few that yeah, I paid attention to, but I'm not going to here. But we have a chance to learn from this. Uh, same with all of history so that we can uh, develop a strategic plan going forward so that we're going to much better shape going. Isn't that kind of one of the benefits from history in general? It can be, uh, but I like I like this quote. Some people say uh, history repeats itself. Well, yeah. I say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes a lot. Hmm. Tell us yes. more. What do you mean by that? Uh, nothing's ever exactly the same. Right. There are different factors involved. I mean, we could just go back and look at swine flu from 10 years ago, approximately 10 years ago, or the SARS thing from about, what, 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. now? And we could draw stuff from that too, right? But nothing's ever exactly the same. I'm not a virologist or any of that, but I do know that these, these viruses mutate, right? So we could have a mutated virus, that's, and that's basically what this is, a mutated cold virus, I think, if I understand it correctly. Sure. Uh, you could have another one mutated another way, right? Well, that, it's kind of... It might have different effects on people. What now, about this? We'll have that... to figure out how to deal with that, right? Sure. Yeah. But, and we can look back and say, this is how we dealt with this, and this is what didn't work. Well, but think it's of, not going to be exactly the same. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah. What about yeah. this analogy? You think of like a a policeman that's been on the force for twenty years, and he's he's seen his share of robberies, um, right. and some of them have similar patterns to what happens, and they they mm-hmm. enable him. He learns from what's happened. So not because every situation is going to be identical, but because the aggregate of it gives him a framework to be able. No, to, I can totally see. It. Yeah, that's yeah. actually a very good analogy. Uh, as a teacher or professor, you you kind of developed the same kind of thing over time sure. it's like this ain't my first rodeo kid i know you look that up on the internet <laughs> well and that's you know that's what I'm that's why you know you have such wisdom from those um when you think about the older population which unfortunately is much more vulnerable to this virus right um and, than, and, and for this virus we need to realize that and say okay we know it goes after these people worse sure and this i mean i still have most of my parents are alive thank god and i said i started telling them I don't know, early March when I started kind of, because I was reading a lot about it just out of interest, and I started telling them, y'all need to stay home. They don't live in the same place as me, so I couldn't. And I just said, y'all start staying home, get masks. I mean, I started telling them these stuff because I said, I'm reading what's happening in other places. So we need to, that's kind of things you need to adjust to. But yeah, washing your hands, covering your face. 
I mean, historically, that's what people have done since the Black Death. But and we also before. we also can learn from history, especially the history of of Christianity and our yes. own history as baptized children of God. I, I've often said in, in sermons lately that you know there is no mitigating against sin, um, and we have the greatest uh, PPE out there that's available in our robes of righteousness that we've been given in our baptism. And so we right. don't we don't need to live in fear because we know how this story ends. Uh, for those that that confess Christ and believe, and we don't need to live in fear. I think there's a very uh, Jesus said. Uh, maybe you can tell me the verse. Uh, Go. I want you to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. Sure. And I think that applies here. Well, we, we have can... to be innocent as doves, meaning we have that robe of righteousness. We should not live in fear, but we should be wise as serpents. Sure. Right. We have a duty to serve our neighbor, however, whatever that duty is in our life. That might mean advocating for my neighbor's business and saying, you know what, some of these uh, restrictions may be unreasonable for that person. Maybe that person could figure out a way to do their business in a different way that would be safe. Or it might mean saying, hey, concert halls don't need to come back anytime soon. I'm just trying to give different examples. I'm not trying to pick anybody's side or anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they had to make those decisions in the Black Death. I mean, think about it, people just dropping dead everywhere. Uh, A lot of the clergy had to decide what they were going to do. Well, no, absolutely. And a lot of them just chose to die because they said, or chose to be exposed knowing they might die because they said, you know what? I'm not going to leave my call. I'm going to stay here and minister to these dying people. And if it means I die, that's fine. No, I'm not saying, I'm not telling clergy to do that. Personally, I'm saying that's what they did. And that's what Luther actually said. He said a, a clergyman, a pastor should not flee. He should take reasonable precautions. But he should not flee because he has a responsibility to his flock. Well, and the the analogy in the opposite kingdom, in the kingdom of the left, is is how we see our emergency responders and our nurses and That's doctors. That's a good way to put it. Uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, to a certain degree, it's like you know, I keep telling my pastor friends, "Quit complaining. It's your job." <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> you're well, there you're to care. So I'll let you say that. No, and I, I, I'm I, tell I you what, this, the pastors I know, I've not heard. Uh, uh, my pastors, um, they're they're kind of the opposite. Well, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you know, so much not being able to be around, yeah. you know, and how hard it's been to minister to people. I no, mean, I know. As my pastor, as a pastor told me, uh, people haven't stopped dying. Uh, people divorces haven't stopped happening. You know, he just kind of listed things that people. Wait, go wait, through, the, you know, he, those he, things he don't. Those things don't pause. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. So he's like, I still have to minister to those people, and I've got to figure out a way to do it safely, but also, you know, he has to learn. He's, they've been having to balance that, so it is important. And and that's the same with, uh, you know, whether you're a dentist or uh, or one of the our doctor or nurse that's having to deal with, you know, really sick people on a daily basis. I get it. Yeah, it's tough. Well, Doctor Phillips, it makes we... my job look pretty pretty easy. You know, sure. I have I've tried not to complain at all. Oh, no, at least not out, out of my own mind. Uh-huh. I, I'm not going to never say that I haven't complained in my heart. But so, any last I, thoughts? I, I, we got to get feel a lot better about myself. Yeah, we got to get going here. Any last thoughts that all you right, have man. from the Black Death that uh, you would want to put in front of our listeners here? The the one lesson I might say we could learn from the Black Death as a rhyming event, but a much worse event was sure. one. As for Christians, keep your eyes focused on Christ. And I know that's trite sounding, but it's true. Two, in, in the world, practically, always always try to balance those things, uh, balance the safety, but also balance other issues in life. Loving your neighbor might mean uh, 
you know, uh, buying stuff from them in a tough time if you've got the ability to do that. Sure. Okay. I mean, like if their business is having to sell stuff online or whatever. So those things have to be balanced. And I think the people coming out of the Black Death uh, are much worse than what we're experiencing. And I hope it stays that way. Had to deal with those things for generations. At least one generation had to deal with, what are we going to do with this property now? How are we going to equitably distribute it? Because hmm. whole towns died. So what do you do, right? Or, or how are we going to serve each other in the future if this comes back? How do we deal with it? So, Well, there truly is, as the writer of the Ecclesiastes said, even though they're rhyming events, and I totally get that, there still is nothing new under the sun. People have faced this That's true. before. And the Black Death, we learned that they faced it in uh, even greater numbers. Yes, Thank you, Dr. Phillips, for uh, joining us today. God's continued blessing on you and your, and hopefully a transition over the course of the summer back to as much normal life at Concordia University, Nebraska, as possible. Thanks for joining us today. That's what we're praying for. Okay, take care. Thank you. That's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.